Well, we are deep into a teaching series here on My Sundays. This is part 10 today. Uh, we've been talking about the kingdom of God. Uh, we started in Matthew 4, where Jesus kind of arrives on the scene and launches his public ministry, announces that the kingdom of God is arriving. And since then, we've been in Matthew 5, uh, what we know as a Sermon on the Mount, or uh, I was calling it Jesus' manifesto for a whole new way of being human in the broken reality of the kingdom of God. It's really about God's value system in his kingdom. If you've missed any of these messages, because we're in part 10, uh, I really encourage you to go back and fill in the gaps. Uh, you can listen uh, from your computer on the media player on our website. Uh, of course, you can. Uh, we just recommend that you subscribe to our podcast. That way it just shows up on your uh, podcast feed every Monday or Tuesday. Uh, and if you, uh, that way you just never have to miss any of the teaching content. And I think it's really important when we're in a teaching series and working through a passage of scripture, uh, like we are with the Sermon on the Mount, uh, so that we get everything in its context. So we said a few weeks ago that essentially Jesus is looking for a different kind of righteousness, a righteousness that emanates uh, from a heart that's been transformed by Jesus, a heart whose driving motivation is love. So today uh, we're going into chapter 6. Chapter 6 opens with Jesus saying this. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. He's saying that when you do good works, don't do them to show off or to look good in front of others. And the key line is in there is to be seen by them. Uh, that phrase can be translated in order to be noticed by them. Let me just read the next three verses. In chapter 6, this is verse 2. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. <coughs> what Jesus is dealing with uh, here at the beginning of chapter 6 is the question, what is my motivation? In Jesus' world, people really wanted to look good in front of others. Uh, does that sound at all familiar to you? Like, I mean, can we relate to that at all? In our world, we might call it something different. We call it image management. It's about getting the approval of others. And I'll tell you what, just about a year ago, in May of 2019, I was well into a series then that we called Emotionally Healthy, and we took an entire message to talk about these verses, but, uh, and, and since we're going to focus on the next part of this passage today, I just want to kind of refer you back to uh, that message about living for the approval of others back in May of 2019. It was on the 12th of May. You can find that on our podcast feed, uh, or you can find it on the messages uh, page on our website at faithcommunityfellowship.com. So today, uh, we're going to talk about a subject that is pretty universal. Uh, and honestly, it's one of the topics that I feel like comes up a lot in conversations, uh, probably more than any other, <coughs> except maybe for right now, except maybe for God is in control. I'm hearing that a lot lately, and, and I actually have started asking people what exactly they mean by that, because I don't know what they mean by that, and I'm easily confused by things like, like the sovereignty of God and the free will of humans. So, so there's that, which uh, isn't even what we're talking about today. Today we're talking about prayer. Here's the deal. Almost everybody prays. You can study this historically, you can study it uh, sociologically, but it seems to be a basic human tendency to be drawn to prayer. If you go back and look through centuries of human history, there's never been um, an atheistic culture. 
there is something ingrained in the human soul and mind to ask the question, is there a God? And if there's a God, is he personal? And if he's personal, can I communicate with him? So even if you're not in church regularly or you swore you'd never be a part of a church or you got so many questions, that so many issues with God, there's a fairly good chance that at some point in your life you have prayed. It seems like a universal human behavior. So yeah, almost everybody prays, but almost everyone gets frustrated with prayer. It's like, how am I supposed to love prayer? I mean, I, I, I know I'm supposed to. I know I'm supposed to pray every day and I'm supposed to be comfortable praying out loud, but I'm frustrated with it. And I've, I've gotten to where I don't really see the point. And, and so, yeah, it's difficult. And just so you know, even as a pastor, I've been frustrated with prayer. And people come to me and they say, uh, can you pray about, and you know, that all kinds of things. And, and I swear, sometimes people think that pastors have like a special uh, hotline or something, or like we have a special combination of words. Like, so like, it's like magic words and they're, they're like a password to get access to the vault. But we don't. There are times when I'm frustrated with prayer too. So what do I mean by that? Well, there are, are a lot of common frustrations with prayer, and see if any of these ring true for you. These are just some common frustrations. Number one, I'm not sure anyone is listening. So yeah, you're just, you're just not sure. This is true of Christians. Um, it's true of non-Christians. And if you're praying and you're thinking, you know, am I just being foolish? Is this just bouncing off the ceiling? Is anyone listening? I'll tell you what, sometimes I feel that way too. Now, in my head, of course, I believe that, you know, all the things that we teach here are, are true, and I've had times of incredible connection with God in prayer, but there are moments, there are seasons where I wonder because I don't feel like anyone is listening. So if you've ever been there, you're not alone. Number two, this is surprisingly common. <clears throat> in the past, I have felt closer to God when I prayed than I do now. So you're feeling disconnected. Even on days when you're, you feel like you're believing completely and the doubts have taken a back seat, you might still feel disconnected when you pray. You might feel like prayer isn't necessarily moving you closer to God. Number three, frustration, it's repetitive. So maybe depending on the tradition that you were raised in and the tradition that you practice, prayer can be very repetitive. Maybe in your tradition you used to get prayers assigned to you. You know, you need to do 15 Our Fathers or 10 Hail Marys or maybe you used to pray the rosary or maybe you were assigned certain prayers in a prayer book. And even if that isn't your tradition, uh, maybe you basically have this set prayer that you pray. It's like, Lord, thank you for this day and, you know, and for these and all thy gifts, we give you thanks and thank you for this food and bless it to our body and us, to thy service. And you say these things over and over and over again and it gets repetitive. Uh, number four is that it's too formal or too casual. So some of you were raised in a very structured church setting and tradition, and prayer, I mean, that was the guy in the robe or the collar, that's his job, or that's the pastor's job. It has to be somebody who went to seminary, because for, for some people, prayer has to be led by a trained professional, or it doesn't really count. But at the same time, when this is true, it can become very formal. The other side of the frustration is that sometimes it's too casual, you know those people. It's like, hey, God's my buddy. You know, we're, we're, he's like my main man, you know. And, and I tend to think he's a little, bit, a little bit more than that. I think he's our friend, but there's a reverence component too. So what form should that take? What should that look like? How do we keep it from being too formal without overcorrecting and being too casual? <coughs> and then number five, 
is feeling like God doesn't answer my prayers. Like, like I don't know, because, you know, I, just, I, don't know like, I don't feel like God's answering my prayers. Some of you, maybe most of us, uh, we've prayed for things and nothing happened. Or we prayed for some situation to get better and instead things actually got worse. Some of you probably have prayed for years and years about very specific, unselfish things and nothing has happened. Maybe some of you prayed for family members when they were sick and not only did they not get better, they died. And you're like, I feel like God isn't answering my prayers. So that's why I don't pray anymore. And for Christians, it's not like we don't believe in God anymore. It's just that we're not convinced that he listens when we pray. So, what is the purpose of prayer then? And why, if God really wants us to pray, why is prayer so frustrating? Why is it so mysterious? Why is it so hard to access? And why do only a few people ever seem to really enjoy prayer? And and why do we find ourselves kind of left behind at times? So prayer is just one of those uh, big subjects, and if you've hung around church at all, some of you have been around church for a long time, you'll hear, you'll hear Christians say things like, you know what, prayer works, prayer works. Praise the Lord, prayer works. Well, well how do you know it works? Well, because I prayed, you know what, my sister, she had cancer, and the doctor said it was bad, and it was terminal, and we activated the prayer chain, don't ask, and we all prayed for her, and we had so many people praying for her, and she went back to the doctor, and cancer was gone, prayer works. Or you know what, I didn't have a job and I prayed and my church prayed and my friends prayed and this job opportunity came along and I got the job and I didn't even have the right qualifications, prayer works. Except some of you are sitting there right now and you're like, yeah, but I did pray. And my loved one didn't make it. And the cancer came back. And I did pray and I'm still underemployed. I prayed and we're still struggling in our marriage. And it's hard for you to process because some Christians, we tend to walk around all smug going, prayer works. And, and they do seem, you know, people do seem to get their prayers answered. And we think, well, then obviously there's something wrong with me because I don't know how to pray. Apparently, maybe God loves you more than he loves me because I've been praying about this for a long time. And my life isn't going the way I hoped it would by now. And I find when people say things like prayer works, it just kind of makes you think that you'll never figure out how prayer works or at least how to make it work for you. So I think there's a core belief at the heart of how we think about prayer. And it kind of goes like this. (coughs) What is the purpose of prayer? What is the purpose of prayer? I think for a lot of us, we think of prayer as a button to be pushed. It's just a button to be pushed. Like, here's what we're going to do. We need to get this person out of the hospital. We need to keep everybody safe. We need more money. We need to get this person a job. Uh, We need this relationship to work out. Uh, We need our kids to turn out right. So I'm just going to push this button. And if I push it the right way, God's going to do what I want him to do. It's like, God, here's my list of what are the things I want you to do. Got to press the button. And I'm not even talking about trivial stuff, right? I'm not talking about your wish list. I'm talking about stuff that really matters, You're praying about stuff that is near and dear to your heart. You're praying about life and death matters sometimes. But maybe we're approaching it as if prayer is a button to be pushed. If you've ever been around groups of people praying at church, this is how the church has approached it a lot of times, that we'll just, oh, that's great, we'll just pray about that. Don't worry about it, we'll just pray about it. And if you don't get the answer, we kind of give off this air that it's probably because you're not pushing the button right. Or you're not, maybe you're not good enough to push the button. 
this is a big one. So let's have the pastor do it. The pastor needs to push the button. And if we're, we're really honest about how we've approached prayer, it's way too easy for us to think about prayer as a button to be pushed. So if prayer is not a button to be pushed, what is it? What's the point? What's the purpose? I want to suggest to you today that prayer, fundamentally, is not a button to be pushed. Yes, there's a place for prayer requests. Yes, there are genuine needs to pour out to God. But if prayer is not a button to be pushed, if it's not that, and I know this is going to be mind-bending for some of you. Some of you have heard me say this before. But I think prayer is a relationship to be pursued. I think it's a relationship to be pursued. It's not a button to be pushed. You, gotta, like, you just got to get it just right. But it's a relationship to be pursued. There's so much more to prayer. There's so much more to prayer that's actually accessible to you and to me. Uh, you don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to be part of, a, of an elite church prayer team. Uh, there is just so much available in prayer that we miss. And it's relational. It's a relationship to be pursued. So here's a question. And I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way. Maybe it's a different way of thinking about it for you. But what if God is pursuing you? Maybe you're pursuing God, but what if God is actually pursuing you? C.S. Lewis said that Christianity is the only religion in the world about God's search for humanity, not just humanity's search for God. Because most of the world's religions are like, how do I find God? How do I get to God? What is he like? How can I find him? And if you go and study even ancient civilizations, you'll see that people are like, well, we don't know if there is a God. Uh, it, we're going to try to find out because it's been really, really dry. Like it hasn't rained in a long time and we need it to rain like soon. So they would do all kinds of things. They'd sacrifice animals and they'd sacrifice people and they'd mark up their bodies and they would go through all kinds of antics trying to figure out how do we find God? And once we found him, how do we connect with this God? This is a universal human instinct. But Christianity tells a different story. Yes, people are looking for God, but what if God is also pursuing us? What if he's pursuing you? What if God is that personal? What if he cares about us that deeply? Christianity tells the story of creator God, father God, pursuing us, that he loves us so much that rather than condemn us for our failures and shortcomings and the sin in our lives, rather than condemn us, he saved us from it. And Jesus came not only to teach, and he was a brilliant teacher, but he came to live and to die in our place, to bring forgiveness of sin, to bring new life. That's God's pursuit of you. So yes, you're, we're sort of pursuing God Maybe sometimes barely pursuing God or hardly pursuing God, but what if God is also pursuing you? So we're going to go back and look at this passage in Matthew 6, just these few verses today, and it's the most famous prayer ever prayed. You may know it by memory, you may not. Uh, chances are you're at least familiar with it. Uh, maybe you grew up saying it every day in school or at least every week in church, or maybe you're familiar with it, but you can't quite quote it from memory. It's the most famous prayer that Jesus ever spoke. <coughs> and because it's really familiar... The temptation is to dismiss it because it's so familiar. Uh, there probably isn't much for you. We think maybe there isn't much for us to learn from it. Uh, but hopefully uh, we can discover something new for each of us. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Words of Jesus. This then is how you should pray. So these guys, these disciples, have been following Jesus around. Some of them are semi-religious. Some of them are very steeped in religion. But it becomes clear to them after watching Jesus pray, that they're like, I guess we don't know how to pray. <laughs> we thought we knew how to pray, but we don't know how to pray. 
We thought we had the push button figured out, but we obviously don't know how to pray. This then is how you should pray. This is the most famous prayer in the scripture. It has a name. We call it the Lord's Prayer. It's super familiar. Hopefully we can breathe some life back into it because uh, I think for a lot of people it's lost its power because it's been recited over and over and so we're just going to look deep into this. I think you'll find that it actually has incredible life. Words of Jesus, this is how you pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. All right, already we're like, what does that mean? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts or sins, same thing, as we all also have forgiven our debtors or those who've sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then as Protestants, we added this part in the 16th century. Uh, it says, for, we say, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We added that. Now, before we get into breaking this down, uh, I just want to emphasize, prayer is not a button to be pushed. Prayer is a relationship to be pursued. And I believe that God is pursuing us. God is pursuing you, whether you're pursuing God or not. And for those of you who are pursuing God, I think this is incredible news. Isn't it amazing that the God who created the universe is pursuing us? And prayer, above all things, is not a button to be pushed, but a relationship to be pursued. Let's look again at what Jesus said, verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, what this does is it introduces a battle, a battle that I think you probably experience, whether you're a Christian or not. It's a battle that every human uh, experiences. It's a battle that I go through and you do too. It's a battle between two kingdoms. In fact, the central battle when it comes to prayer and really life in general is simply this. It's a battle between my kingdom and God's kingdom. The battle between my kingdom and God's kingdom. The battle that we will have, the battle that we'll have in our prayer life, the battle you'll have in prayer is simply the battle between the way you see the world and the way God sees the world. And Jesus addresses this as he begins this prayer. The longer um, I do life as a follower of Jesus, <coughs> the more I pray this way because my prayers, they can tend to be shallow and selfish or whatever. But when I take some time to read scripture and to really dwell on it, you can call it meditating if you want. If you're, if you're looking at this text and begin to pray through the scripture, our prayers come to life. So for example, I'll give you an example of how to pray scripture. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You could look at that and focus on different words. Let's focus on heaven. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Have you ever thought about that as often as you might have prayed this prayer? Or you're like, okay, I said that line, what's next? You know, what? But think about this. We actually have a Father who is in heaven. What does that mean, to be in heaven? I mean, why is that such a good thing? I mean, if he's in heaven and we're not, because we're clearly not in heaven yet, but God is, so how is that a good thing? Well, I think we know that life on earth is not life as it's supposed to be. Life isn't the way God intended for it to be right now. That might even be the reason that some of you are on here right now. Your life just isn't going the way you hoped it would be going by now. You're frustrated. You're disappointed. You're anxious. Maybe you're angry at God. Or maybe things are going great, but there's still an emptiness to your success. Maybe there's a gnawing emptiness to your experience that you can't uh, solve. It's like every time you get a raise or every time you close a deal or every time you get a promotion, every time you take a vacation, every time you make that big purchase, whatever it is, you settle back into your routine and the emptiness is still there. So what is that? C.S. Lewis calls it a longing for heaven. 
that that discontent that we find is a longing for something beyond this world. So, so what's the significance that we have a God, a Father in heaven? Can we really make that connection? Where this starts to go, if you just focus on different words and put them on the, in the spotlight, it takes your prayer life to another level because there's enough material here to keep you praying for days, uh, and days worth of thought and study and meditation, and you can go as deep as you want with it. But when you pray through Scripture, uh, you'll, you'll never run out of things to say or questions to ask or things to give thanks for. So that's just one way to look at it. But what if we came back another day and focus on another word? What if we said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus does something radical here. He addresses God in a personal way, in a relational way. And that was groundbreaking in his day. In the religious climate that he was living in 2,000 years ago, people didn't talk to God that way. They had all kinds of names for God, but to think of God as Father, that never occurred to them. Sometimes uh, he would use a word for God that was almost embarrassing. Uh, It was almost scandalous, really. It's It's a term little children would use, like little toddlers would use to address their father. He'd use the Aramaic word Abba. The closest English equivalent is Daddy. So he'd be praying and he would address God as daddy. And the religious people freaked out and they're like, whoa, whoa you, daddy, you can't call God daddy. You can't talk to him like that. Because they'd gotten to the point where they wouldn't even pronounce the name for God. They wouldn't say it out loud because God to them had become nothing more at, than at best an impersonal being who was so holy and so big and so abstract that they couldn't relate to him. And then Jesus comes along and says, dad, and he has a conversation. So what does it mean that you have a relationship with the God who created you? What does that mean? What difference does it make? Father in heaven. I think what we long for is that healthy, life-giving relationship with Father God. So what does it mean for me that he's in heaven? What does it mean for me that I get to call him Father? I guess it means that he wants a relationship with me. He wants a relationship with us. Maybe even that he pursues us, loves us, cares about us, forgives us. Could come back another time. Look at it this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So our Father, which causes us to like, wait, 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 wait a minute. Because we live in a very individualistic Western modern culture. It's about me, my Father, my Father, my, 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 me, me, me. But now remember, we call this the Lord's Prayer, but this really isn't His prayer. Uh, His prayer is in John 17, where He prays for us. Here in Matthew 6, He's teaching His disciples and He's teaching all of us how to pray. He says that when we pray, pray this way, our Father in heaven. So all of a sudden, the idea of prayer is a little bit bigger than me. It's bigger than my needs and my wants and my wish list and my deal and me, 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 me. We're part of a community. We're in this together, our Father in heaven. That's an assault on my selfishness. That's an assault on the idea that the universe revolves around me. And Jesus kind of ushers us into this battle. It's the difference between our kingdom and God's kingdom And that's just the first line of this prayer. Uh, It's just the first line that'll kind of keep you going for for weeks, but I'm not quite done, so we'll continue. Next line, verse 9. Hallowed be your name. Okay, what's that mean? Because this isn't a word we use every day, hallowed. Hallowed simply means holy. And the idea that God's name is hallowed, it is holy, it is above every other name. So think about that. What does it mean to declare and to acknowledge that God's name is holy, that God's name is above all other names, including my own? What does that look like in my life, to exalt God's name above my own name in my life? Next part, verse 10. Your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Now we're all into this battle, the battle between the two kingdoms. So the challenge we're going to face, Jesus says, is we need to declare God's kingdom first. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And like you, there's something inside of me that fights that. Most of the translations of the Bible that we use, uh, the New International Version, the New American Standard, the New King James, they all interpret this part of the prayer the same way. <clears throat> but when we get our hands on it, we add our twist and kind of our commentary. Instead of praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we end up praying, uh, my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in my mind. That's kind of the Todd Crossway version, and I never claim to be a scholar of ancient languages. But this is what I naturally pray. I just pray, my kingdom come, my will be done. And if you were to honestly audit your prayer life, that's probably what you pray a lot of the time too. God, I just want what I want. I want what I think because, uh, you know, if I was running the world, I'd do a better job than you are right now. If you would just ask for my advice, I got all kinds of great ideas you apparently never thought of. I mean, in my life, in my family, when I look at what's happening at, at work, when I look at what's happening around the world, when I look at what's going on in my health, in my finances, I just want to tell you, I would be doing it differently because I want my kingdom and I want my will to be done. So Jesus starts by introducing us to the fundamental battle of our lives. He says, where you begin in your praying matters because you're going to pray about your kingdom. So why don't you pray about God's kingdom instead? Now, why is this so important? I think it's important, regardless of where you are on a spiritual spectrum, if you're a fully devoted follower of Christ and you're enjoying a growing relationship with Jesus, if you're just getting started, if you haven't quite crossed the line of faith, if you're on the outside looking in, you got lots of questions that you want answered first, wherever you are, this is important because when your kingdom wins, you lose. If your kingdom wins, you lose. As much as you pray about your kingdom, it's like, come on, God, come on, come on, come on, come on, God. Come on, come on, get with the program. Like, let's go, God, chop, chop, let's go. If your kingdom wins, you lose. And you know this because the person who's always praying about themselves or the person who's always asking for prayer for themselves, the person whose prayer requests are always about themselves, God, if you just do this thing for me, that'd be like, my life would be amazing. In the end, the person who prays this selfishly loses. And Jesus is saying to us through these words in the Lord's Prayer that this is going to be the fundamental battle in our lives. My kingdom or God's kingdom. So some of you might be thinking, okay, I get that. Uh, if my kingdom wins, I lose. But one of the reasons I pray is because I have problems. So what about my problems? I mean, if I'm just praying our Father in heaven, you know, my Father in heaven, whatever, is just so amazing. I get to call you Father because your name is so holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But what about my problems? I want to introduce you to a thought that I, I hope bothers you. I kind of Hope your gut reaction is, well, that can't be true, but I think it is. <coughs> and this is what Jesus is introducing us to in the opening lines of the Lord's Prayer. And it's this. The bigger your God, the smaller your problems. It's why we need to start our time in prayer by looking at God, not looking at ourselves. We all need a God that is bigger than our problems. And here's the good news. You have a God who's bigger than your problems. The God of the universe, almighty creator God, is big enough to handle whatever you bring to him. And when we keep that in perspective, then our problems seem smaller. 
So Jesus begins with God because he knows that the bigger your God, the smaller your problems. And I get it that some of you are totally weighed down by huge problems, and I'm not minimizing your problems at all. I would just propose that when we actually begin to look at God as he really is, we will realize that the more that we focus on his goodness, his love, his grace, his forgiveness, his provision, the smaller our problems seem and the more confidence we have that God can handle our problems. So this week, when you pray, and I hope that you will pray, I hope that you will create some time in your schedule, some margin in your life where you can pray. And I hope that even in these two lines of the Lord's Prayer, that you will find a guide for you as you pray. That you'll remember that prayer is a relationship to be pursued. And that you will start with God as He really is. That you'll acknowledge the battle between these two kingdoms. And that you'll see our problems in the proper perspective by focusing on a bigger God. I don't know what your problems are, but God knows. And for now, just remember this, start with God, start with God as he really is, because the bigger your God, the smaller your problems, and no matter how big your problems are. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, that's a lot to think about, it's a lot to process. Maybe there's some deprogramming for us to do in our lives as it comes to the way that we look at prayer. Thank you for taking the time in your teaching to teach us how to pray, for putting so much just into these couple of opening lines of this sample prayer that you gave us. Thank you that even when we weren't pursuing you, that you were pursuing us. Thank you that while we were still in our sin, that you came for us. Thank you that even today when our lives get out of balance and we neglect our pursuit of you, that you've never stopped pursuing relationship with us. So Heavenly Father, today we acknowledge you are the God of the universe. You're the almighty creator God. We don't always understand why things uh, go the way they go in life, but today we want to trust you. We want to focus on a God who is bigger than our problems. We trust you and we surrender our wills to your will, your kingdom, to your, our kingdoms, to your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name.